Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gates and ready to go. OutKick 360 is underway. Wednesday edition is here. That means Bobby Carpenter will be here in 20 minutes. We'll talk all things college football with the SiriusXM analyst. Looking forward to that as we do each and every week. And uh, a bit later, Tom Luganville from ESPN, analyst, uh, ESPN recruiting and football analyst. He'll be with us in hour number two. And then we'll take a look at Georgia and the dominance of Kirby Smart since he's arrived in Athens. Uh, the, the path for them and what the scenario that can happen where Stetson Bennett is headed towards a statue in Athens. If you really look at what's in front of their path to another title. In what will be, I believe, a more competitive college football playoff. Gentlemen, good afternoon. So many scenarios out there. So many scenarios that we can go through, Hutton. (laughs) We're going to do that today. Lots and lots of scenarios. Heisman, college football playoff. Here's the scenario for the show today. We got primary complaint. That's right. I'm pissed off for greatness already. Something just came to me while I was eating lunch today. (laughs) And I said, I have got to target this. I went on a Twitter rant about it. And I don't know whose fault it is. But answers must be made to my primary complaint today uh, because there's been a, a, a gross injustice that's happened in Hollywood that I'm going to discuss coming up a little bit later. We got a great guest list. A little also. bewildering to me. Yes. Well, this, this started, uh, I've gone down the Hollywood wormhole with my sexiest man alive, <laughs> People Magazine, side by sides. Uh, that was that, disturbing that enough. Now, this night. one is, uh, is even. Anyway, it's going to be out. fun. Fun show. Tom Luganbill is going to be great. Joined us before. Does a terrific job covering uh, college football for ESPN. And Bobby Carpenter. It's uh, it's going to be a fun college football day, but a lot of NFL news to discuss as well. I, yep. I've got serious concerns about this college football playoff standings and Tennessee. Okay. Let's, really? Let's, let's, let's take a look dive at into it. it. Georgia, number one in the country. No surprise. No surprise. It's Ohio State. At number two, Michigan is three and TCU is four, followed by the first two out, Tennessee and Oregon at six. So what's your concern? Well, I I shouldn't say I've got giant concerns because uh, looking at what is in front of them, you could feel comforted, right? I'm not confident that TCU is going to run the table and Ohio State or Michigan loses to, to each other, but Maybe that game's close and that loss looks good and somehow a case could be made for them ahead of Tennessee. Maybe. TCU, I would think, falls out. The The question is what's behind them. And we know that Tennessee has two great wins with LSU and with Alabama. But we also know that Tennessee's done in terms of getting quality wins. It wins yeah, out they can now, only screw up now against three bad teams, right? right? Missouri, South Carolina, Vanderbilt. Yep. yep. And you look at Oregon, who clearly the committee likes. They've got a worse loss to Georgia. But uh, remaining on their schedule is Washington, who's 25, 
Utah, who's 13, and conceivably USC in a championship game in a revised uh, conference playoff, which we all love the idea of, which could really help them where they're playing not an opposite division, but the second best team, which would be USC at eight. If they win out, I don't know who the third game, uh, the third regular season game is against nobody good, but if they beat 25, 13, and eight, I'm not saying that matches up with Tennessee, but I'm saying this committee that's got them ranked Tennessee five, Oregon six, could see the late momentum of Oregon, get some some uh, proximity bias in them, and find a way to see Oregon's loss to Georgia way in ancient history and Tennessee's as more modern history and Oregon's three wins over top 25 teams in the course of the last month while Tennessee's done nothing in the last month except lose to Georgia and find a way to flip those two teams. I think that Tennessee's biggest threat, um, if they win out, if all things goes according to Vegas, Tennessee wins the final three games. Their biggest threat is any one-loss Pac-12 champion. So it's not just Oregon. It's USC. It's UCLA. If any of those teams have one loss and get the extra game and have another great win in a Pac-12 championship game and a conference championship, that that could be a problem for Tennessee. Tennessee needs needs the Pac-12 champion to have two losses because a one-loss team – that's even on the outside of it, and I guess that wouldn't happen because the one-loss teams would play each other. Tennessee does not need a one-loss Pac-12 champion. But period. are they both? And it could be Oregon, it could be USC, it could be UCLA. At this point, those teams will cannibalize each other to an extent. First opportunity comes this Saturday with Washington and their high-powered passing attack going to Oregon. If that game's in Seattle, I think Oregon loses. Uh, but the game's at home, so I think Oregon wins. The TCU conundrum, I believe, will be handled this weekend. I think they're losing I do too. at Texas. I do, too. But if they don't, or, or let's say this, if if uh, uh, Ohio State or Michigan wins a conventional game, a touchdown or 10 points, and TCU loses, are Tennessee and Oregon both in? That's a great question, and, and we'll go through a lot of scenarios Because that, to me, is the most standard later. path here. Let's, just looking at what the, the committee has done here. And let's, let's just with set it this up. One. Before we go through the scenarios, let's go up, ahead. Let's set up what the committee's done, and we've got, the, other, we've got the, the, the full list here. But just keep in mind that Oregon last week was 8th, and LSU was at 10. So they've moved up, and LSU coming off a, another – we know the committee values two teams – uh, a lot. Alabama is ninth with two losses. Ole Miss is at 11. And of course, Bama and Ole Miss are playing this week. We know the value, Chad, of the committee with those two programs. And LSU continuing to move up the chart while Oregon is there. Look at UCLA at 12. Three spots behind Alabama. You've got USC one spot ahead of Bama. Keep an eye on all that because the Pac-12, they're going to have their say, but all those teams are capable of beating each other. Yeah, that's why I keep saying it's not it, – Oregon's the most likely right now with their ranking, but it's really – it's Oregon, USC, or UCLA. Any one loss. If they Pac run the table and win the Pac-12 with one loss, they're probably they're that's what they're probably doing. So they're in, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you know someone else isn't falling out. 
you know, not just a TCU. It could be the Michigan, Ohio State. There's a scenario where it's Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan winner, Tennessee at three, Pac-12 champion at four, and then the Big 12 gets shut out of the playoff also. So there's a lot of things to look at. But here's here's my chief complaint going into this week. And I, I, I prefaced this yesterday, and I knew this would happen. Um, they changed the verbiage as to what they want to do to create some sort of false sense of justification when they do something that really makes no sense. Example, TCU is seven a week ago. They have Alabama ahead of them. Shows like ours, I come in and say, that's ridiculous. TCU's unbeaten. They should be ahead of Alabama. Bama's getting a Bama bump when it comes to this. Now, you could come back and argue, well, Bama's in the SEC. They play tough. That's great. I wouldn't disagree with a lot of that. So you could make an argument one way or the other, but... The initial argument is the argument for the college football committee at that point. And their argument was a one-loss Bama team was higher in the rankings than TCU. Fast forward a week, and suddenly the argument is that a, an undefeated TCU team who came from behind to beat Texas Tech at home is now better than a one-loss Tennessee team when they weren't better than a one-loss Alabama team who, oh, by the way, lost head-to-head to Tennessee. And didn't just come back against Texas Tech. They come back against everyone in the fourth quarter. It's too hard and for then, them to connect these dots that you're talking about, Chad, week to week. It's like they need to start the meeting with the secretary rereading the notes from last week's meeting. I think they do that, what though. You're saying. Here's, here's why. Because they say, you know, we obviously value wins. When asked about Tennessee and TCU this week, Boo Corrigan, the head of the committee, says, well, we value teams that won is, is one part of it. Well, okay, the week before that wasn't the case because you had an undefeated team, and then you had Alabama with one loss. And they, they, they trump up this, well, TCU has six wins over teams with a winning record. Let me go through the opponents' records this year. Tennessee leads the nation 50-31. and 31, Their opponents they've played this year are 50-31, and 31, tied with LSU at 50-31. and 31. Georgia's opponents are 48-33, and 33, Clemson's 47 and 34. Then you go way down the list and you got TCU, whose opponents are 41 and 40. One game over 500. But because they've got teams barely above 500, Boo right. Corrigan's not going to point to that and the strength of schedule. He's going to say, well, they have six wins over I, teams with a winning record. You're just changing the verbiage to support what is a bad argument based on your precedent. I've got no big issue your with this. Your point is very clean, if though. Your TCU, precedent point is very clean. If TCU was ahead of Alabama last week, I've got no issue with these rankings. I really don't have any issue with it because I think TCU should have been ahead of them last week. But, but they you weren't. can't make the separate arguments they, now. They weren't, and I wish they would, if this is true, I wish they would say it. They're course correcting based on feedback they received of the within the room week. about TCU. That's like that's the only thing I can come up with as to why you change, change the standard, the, change the rules as you go. But this is what they do. Like so, look at the gap. Look at the gap between Tennessee and UCLA right now. Paul, your Pac-12 one-loss champion, five to twelve. But we're going to see the head-to-head against Ohio State and Michigan. I don't think the loser falls very far. Alabama and Ole Miss are playing this week. The loser is falling, but again, the committee loves both of them. They're not going to fall far. And UCLA, if they keep winning, eventually will be neck and neck with Tennessee because that's what 
that's they're, they're going to overcorrect this gap, and we're going to look back at two weeks from now and see what they've done but see, from 5 to 12. I think there's a better argument for Oregon and more of a scare with Oregon based on them playing both Washington and USC along the way before the championship game. UCLA has Arizona, USC, huge, right. and Cal. Well, Arizona and Cal don't move the needle at all. So you're going to say one game against USC and a championship game move the needle? Well, I don't think that pulls them with Tennessee. But I, I think I, I don't think the Oregon stuff does either, but I think you can make the case it does. Somebody well, could. They what, can. What they'll eventually do as a part of their their criteria is conference championships. Right. And so Tennessee that's, can't that's handle. the Which one is, thing they're not factoring in yet, and that will boost their argument in the final rankings and also, no matter what. Oregon so that, that's only what has to move on. one spot. UCLA has to move all the way from 12 to, to 5 so, to get ahead of them. That's a lot bigger but, and they've already, mind, they've already changed that, by the way, for the future 12-team deal. It's going to factor in conference champions in the yes. top four slots. So that's going to be weighted higher in the 12-team bracket, which I'm which fine with. Fair. Because well, you still get because you still get, get in. Buy. They'll but, have six though, right? But if it's if it's down to Tennessee and Oregon, here's my other point of contention with Boo Corrigan and what he said. If it's down to Tennessee and Oregon, you cannot deny the one common opponent. And exactly. for Boo Corrigan to sit there and say, "Well, you know, Georgia beat them both convincingly," it's exactly the same. I am sorry, being down forty nine nothing and Georgia pulling every starter to start the fourth quarter and losing forty nine to three and being 225 yards away from them in total yards is not the same as losing 27-13. to 13. I don't care if Georgia took their foot off the gas in the rain in the second half. Tennessee was ahead in that game 3 to nothing. It was 49 to nothing on a neutral field. That game was in Athens. That is BS. If it comes down to that comparison, and they try to put Oregon in by arguing they both lost convincingly, doesn't matter I, I, the final score, that is... Style points matter, but also that is a stern how-you-lost type situation. Tennessee got, got beat convincingly by Georgia. I'm not arguing that. Score could have been a little worse. Wasn't going to be 49-3, to and it wasn't on a neutral field. I'd also look there at, is no comparison between those two. I'd also look at the Phil Steele-Vegas neutral field rankings between Tennessee and Oregon, and I don't think that's close. But also... Look, the argument, it should never go to that because the argument if Oregon was in over Tennessee is they won an extra game and they won their conference, and it's that simple. And then you could just go back and say, yeah, Tennessee looked better against Georgia, but we're factoring uh, higher the conference championship and the extra win. But you can extrapolate that out too. The Georgia loss, because they're in the same conference, keeps Tennessee out of its championship game, and the Georgia loss doesn't keep Oregon out of its championship game. So is is it apples to apples? Well, just don't. Based on the criteria they come up with. It is? This, I mean, well, what Chad's saying is they can shape the narrative for this however, however they, they want. But based, so, so right now, what they're doing is they're, they're ranking the top 25 based on a, these metrics. Video, um, stats, win, so video, eye test, stats, win-loss record, conference championships won, head-to-head results against common opponents, strength of schedule, and each team's opponent's records. So so right now, Tennessee is vaulted where they are at five and could be four, you could argue, based on the fact that you can combine all of that, except for the conference championship. But they're also going to look at their each, team's, each team's opponent record. So Tennessee has three wins currently against their college football playoff top 25. 
more than any team. But there are other programs, Ohio State, UCLA, Georgia, LSU, Clemson, and Notre Dame that each have two. Well, based on the top 25, you've got some opportunities for the Pac-12 teams to really boost their resume on how they look at what they've done within the committee's top 25, and one of those teams is going to have a, a conference championship. So that would be how they'll shape the narrative if one of these teams bumps Tennessee. It won't be Oregon's head-to-head loss to Georgia compared to Tennessee. And I think they Oregon... Even, they won't mention that. Well, I think Oregon be. will have a legitimate case. Yeah, I agree. With a conference championship. It will. I agree. No, they, they will. And uh, look, just don't pee on my leg and tell me it's raining. I'm with you. That's all I ask. If, if you want to say we're, we're going to look at – it's going to change week to week. I get that. But in the end, if you're just saying we're really valuing conference championships and winning that extra game over a quality opponent, and that's what puts this team over, that's fine. If you want to argue Tennessee's got the best resume in America at 11-1 and one with the teams they've beaten, you want to put them in, that's fine. Don't just give me one thing one week and then give me a different way. Well, they beat six teams with a winning record, and don't give me that. I and don't I tell me don't. that the Tennessee Oregon or the Tennessee Georgia game and the Oregon Georgia game are the same thing the way they did last night. It's not. Yeah, I I, I just look at this though and think that the the way this is set up, it doesn't mean that the best four teams are always getting in, right? Like that that's the issue here. Is Tennessee's going to be a better team? I test. We've seen it against a number of these Pac-12 schools. Yeah, it's like I, I could, It's the four most deserving. Is Tennessee teams. better than UCLA? Yes. Like we don't. We can take Oregon out of the mix here, but the answer is yes. Um, and well, it, it, I mean, go. And this is what I think is a clear distinction. I've always felt it's the four most deserving and not the four best. And that's I believe Alabama's better than these Pac-12 teams. Yes. But it doesn't yes. matter because they have two losses. Wouldn't it be great? So we give it to the four most deserving, where Tennessee may end up being one of the four best teams in the country if they just steamroll the final three opponents. Does it mean necessarily they have to be in the final four? Because it comes down to the four most deserving, not the four best. I'm thinking, like, wouldn't it be great if there was just a cushion week where if you had a, a debate like this, you could just say, all right, let's play Tennessee and Oregon at a neutral site. And, and solve it to see who gets in. Well, the 12-team playoff will take care of that. The yes. 12-team They won't playoff. necessarily play head-to-head, but they'll both be in, and it'll sort itself out. That update of the 12-team playoff every week shows how great this thing is going to be. And the 12-team playoff will start on college campuses. Yes. We'll get the that first extra round. home game in a playoff. Right now, Alabama would play USC. Michigan, um, they would... Can we put the rankings back up, please? Um yeah, we. I'll, you have that twelve-team bracket. I'll try to pair this up for us. Um, Clemson would be on the road in Baton Rouge, and Tulane. They would be based on this. They're seventeen. Um, yeah, I'm looking. So that's why I want to see this. It's so, the top. It's the top group the of conference. five teams. Yes. Oh, so they're in automatically. automatically. So they're they're Tulane gets in ahead of Utah. They here? would be the twelve yes. seed, and they would be in Ann Arbor for round one. Ole Miss would be in Knoxville. and Can you imagine Lane Kiffin in Knoxville and Neyland in a playoff, in a playoff game. game in Neyland? Yeah. And Would so UCLA two? is the team that gets knocked for the, yeah, but the debate, Tulane team yeah, here. The, ba- the debate would come down to uh, Ole Miss and UCLA. UCLA. But keep in mind, like next week, 
we'll know the result of Alabama Ole Miss. Right. So, again, it's fluid, and I love it. And, again, but, that's fine. Knock the yeah. 11th and 12th team. Uh, it's right. like push the debate down outside the top 10. So what? We're not debating. We used to debate two. Now we debate four. <laughs> then we'll debate but, 11 and 12. That's fine. But and, and the competition level will be through the roof. Yeah. How often are these semifinal games? No, they're never good. Sleepy. But the games you, know? you just listed, they're going to yeah. be good. So some of them are going to be classics. Coming up, Bobby Carpenter will join us. We'll get his thoughts on Tennessee's performance in the loss to Georgia and the Georgia defense. We'll also look ahead to some of the scenarios in the SEC and throughout the rest of the Power Five conferences, TCU, his thoughts on Ohio State, and more. That's next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Glad you're with us and glad to be joined by Bobby Carpenter. Sirius XM, Outkick College Football contributor, and more. He joins us each week at this time. We hit the big headlines across college football. Bobby, good to see you, man. Oh, gentlemen, great to see you. And I mean, we got like a little dose of Christmas last weekend with all those terrific games and stuff you didn't even think would be good. And there's always chaos. No one can ever kind of predict it, but when it's going to happen, where it's going to strike. But man, it was uh, it was a great Saturday, if you were a college football fan, to really lock in from noon to midnight. What was your biggest takeaway of the recent college football playoff rankings? And where do you see the, the chaos really coming from whenever it's, it's time to finally unveil the, the actual semifinals? You know, what's going to be interesting there, I mean, obviously you have the four unbeatens at the top, and I think that that's probably where it should be. Tennessee fell right outside, and I thought that they would probably do that um, and then still have them sitting right outside of there because I think it's an easier conversation. You know, TCU's got some tough games. Like they're a seven-point dog, I believe, to Texas this weekend. So they ultimately have to find a way to make sure they go undefeated. Um, but I could really see this shaping up as you look at it. You know, you've got Tennessee at five, Oregon at six, you know, LSU sitting in there. I mean, heck, LSU could be a two-loss SEC champion as they basically control their own destiny and probably have the easiest pathway now to winning the West. But I think you could really see a two-conference uh, champion here because Oregon has that albatross against Georgia hanging over their head. Uh, depending what the Ohio State-Michigan game looks like, you know, that if that's a tight one, you could see both of those teams getting in. You know, in Tennessee, you know, as long as they don't stumble coming out of the gate here for the rest of the season, I mean, they're not going to have to play in a conference championship, and they'll be sitting there probably ranked, you know, four or five, somewhere in there at the end of the year. And all it's going to take is for someone to lose for them to slide back in. So I could see this thing uh, getting really interesting, but I, I don't know if anyone outside of USC could potentially come from the Pac-12. And with Clemson getting beaten and bludgeoned by Notre Dame, who, let's face it, I mean, they're, uh, I think they're good. They've been a little bipolar, yeah, but they're, they're a three-loss team right now. And so for them to be able to go in there and really – 
we talked about this Clemson team, and we knew offensively they were a little challenged, especially throwing the ball. But Notre Dame was really able to lock down their run game. And then on the flip side of that, we thought Clemson still had a really good defense and a really good defensive line. And Notre Dame pounded them to the tune of 260-plus yeah. yards on the ground, which of all the things I saw, that was probably the most surprising as I'm watching that game. And Notre Dame is just choking them for four, five, and six yards every carry. We just ran through Oregon versus Tennessee. Uh, my worry for Tennessee is that Oregon – you know, could beat Washington 25th, Utah 13th, USC in a conference championship game 8th, while Tennessee, the meet is over in their schedule. Um, currency, uh, what happens most recently weighs more heavily, it would seem like, plus a conference championship. Oregon vaults Tennessee, um, and th- then Tennessee needs good things to happen in front of it in order maybe for both of them to make it. What do you think about the likelihood of that scenario? I do think that there, that is a reality because Oregon, you know, the way the Pac-12, they finally got it right where they're just going to take the two best teams, you know, for the conference championship and there'll be branding power there, assuming it's USC. Uh, the Like I said, the big fly in the ointment could be Notre Dame. They play USC. I mean, they beat USC. All of a sudden, that doesn't look nearly as good. I'm assuming USC beats UCLA, but there's going to be some cannibalization, I think, go on out there in the West Coast. But there, yeah, I mean, listen, am I guaranteeing Tennessee gets in? Heck no. I mean, I think that there's definitely a pathway. Heck, I mean, think about this. If LSU beats Georgia in the SEC championship, I mean, you're probably taking both of those teams right there, and they'd be the first two-loss team to ever get in. So there's definitely a way where Tennessee doesn't get in. But I look at a lot of the ifs. And I would say it's greater. I don't know. They have all those rankings and the percentages. I would say Tennessee probably has a greater than 50% chance to get in um, as long as they win impressively and look the part, you know, the final three weeks of the season. Let's talk LSU because that was a very impressive win over Alabama. Obviously, some interesting symmetry, Bobby, between Brian Kelly getting his first big signature win at LSU at the exact same moment. Marcus Freeman's getting his big signature win at Notre Dame over Clemson. A lot of talk this week from Paul Feinbaum and others that Nick Saban's lost it. Dynasty over. There's some slippage there with Nick Saban. Is this once again a mistake to start to think that Nick Saban is losing something at Alabama? Or do you see some true cracks in the facade with this Alabama team this year with really a a generational quarterback in, in Bryce Young and now they have two close losses. What do you think, Bobby? So I'm glad you brought up. I mean, they have two losses, but it's by what a combined like five points, four points. The I mean, last play of the game, both times yes. away from home. Finally, that's what I'm saying. On the road, final plays of the game. You know, defensively, I don't think they're quite as dominant as what people anticipated they'd be this year. They're not as explosive on the perimeter as they've been, but like that, those are things that can be handled in recruiting. And I don't think that. You know, Nick is starving to get players. They still recruited a really high level. The one concern that I ultimately have was the penalties. I think they had nine penalties in the game. They've had double digit multiple times, which is something that, you know what, I haven't seen a Nick Saban team be that undisciplined in quite some time. So I would say that there is a level of concern there, but everybody wants to bury Nick Saban. You you show me a year where all of a sudden, you know, they lose four games and they've gotten beat soundly in three of them, then I'll be willing to say, you know what, this is more than just a blip. Heck, there's a good chance that they don't lose another game the rest of the year and they're 10-2 and two with two losses to top 10 teams by a combined four points. And you know, one of them, you're going for a two-point conversion to finish the thing off. Like, 
and make no mistake about it, like Brian Kelly really wanted to beat Nick Saban. And when they're driving, I looked over at my wife, I'm like, he's going to go for two. Like, like I said, my brother played for Brian. He coached for him. Like he wants to beat Nick in the worst way. And that's why he said it. That's why you go, he went to LSU so he could have the players to ultimately be able to get it done. And so I, I, he lost to, and he lost, you know, he's lost to, you know, Brian Kelly, who's a pretty darn good football coach as well in Tennessee, you know, and Josh Hype with what they're doing, they're not a slouch. So I don't see these chinks in the armor. Everybody wants to bury them every single year. Show me consecutive years, a little bit like we're getting with Clemson right now, where, yeah, they're undefeated, but there's a lot of issues that they have recruiting and, and what, well, how they've developed some of the different position players. Then we can start talking about it, but I need to see successive years where they have really failed to meet the standard as opposed to just maybe being off the market, Tad. Bobby Carpenter, our guest. Bobby, I think Ole Miss is good. I don't think they're 11th good. And when you consider what the committee is looking at, Ole Miss has had their best wins are Kentucky and Auburn. They beat A&M by three points. And the, the hardest opponents are coming up. Their first six or seven games were cakewalk. So uh, opponent-wise, I'm saying, if we're just comparing resumes, why do you think the committee values Ole Miss so much? Uh, at 11, and what does it mean if they knock off Bama, who we know the committee values a great deal? You know, I think if they knock off Bama, then, you know, there's a conversation about how good they really are. And then, you know, that that's a whole nother beast of what, what they could potentially be. You know, they've run the ball really well this year. Yes. Um, and so they ran into LSU, and then LSU bludgeoned them. And that was probably – the one thing that I got concerned with the most with Ole Miss is, you know, LSU was really able to pound them and take their manhood in the second half. That's something that, you know, we like, you know, we make fun of Lane Kiffin. You know, he's a, a little uh, antagonist. You know, he's visor guy. He's a smart offensive coach. But they run the football, man. They're a tough physical team. And then they got out-toughed by LSU, which I thought was a big concern. But as I look at the rankings, guys, like, who are you going to rank above them? Like, they might not be 11 good, but I don't know of, any other teams behind them, you know, that is UCLA. I mean, that if you played that game, it'd probably be really close. I would imagine they're a very similar team to Ole Miss with how they want to play. You know, I don't think Utah is better than them. I don't definitely don't think, I think Penn state would probably be a very similar game. I look at those teams like, yeah, maybe they could be 13th, but, or 14th, but the other teams surrounding them are about a coin flip. So, you know, the fact that they're sitting there, they have one loss, they play in the SEC West. Yeah, a lot of their schedules in front of them, but they've looked good with the opponents that they played to this yes, point. Yes, and you know they've the, the the we could say the same about LSU and where they were positioned last week to now after the Bama win. I'm just saying, I, I also agree. I think head to head they would win against some of the teams that are directly behind them. But point being, where would they vault to with a win over Bama guys like LSU just did? With two losses, that that's all I'm saying. I'm I'm trying to keep an eye on the rebels because the resume itself, when you're trying to stack it up with all these other teams, they they have more to prove with the next three weeks than I think anybody within that six to eleven range. Simply because, again, their resume has wins over Kentucky and Auburn, and not much else. That's all. Well, yeah, I think of a little bit is there's how that game they're set up well. They are, and it's a little bit how that game looks. You know, if they end up beating yes. Bama, you know, by a field goal and it's tight, and you're like, all right, they probably jump up maybe to eight or nine. 
if they do to Bama what Notre Dame did to Clemson, then you start having the conversation where it's a multi-spot jump and they may be catapulted right up in there, right with Oregon, you know, behind TCU, Tennessee. You start getting into that second tier conversation because they're only one loss and they would have just bludgeoned, you know, Bama team, albeit at home, which obviously helps a little bit, but that's it's it's how that game looks. And that's why we've wanted, we love and hate the committee. Because a computer, nobody wanted margin of victory. It's always like, hey, I watched the game with my eyes. I know this team dominated, even though they only won by, you know, 10 points. It was never really close. Um, That's why we have this. So if there's a game where, hey, they beat Bama, you know, 27, you know, 13, and it's a little bit like that Tennessee-Georgia game, but you never really felt like Tennessee was truly in it, you know, once Georgia was able to take the lead, you know, that I think would be probably a four or five spot jump where then you're talking about them being a realistic playoff contender. So Michigan's opponent's record so far this year is 38 <laughs> and 45 uh, in their wins. Ohio State struggled against Northwestern on the road. This is a bad Big Ten, Bobby, and I'm curious how much it's going to. It's not hurting them right now with the two undefeated teams in Ohio State and Michigan, but does it eventually come back and bite them because of the weakness of the conference, uh, when you look at the Big Ten as a whole, with Michigan and Ohio State being very good football teams, there's not a lot of quality outside of that, though, this year in the Big Ten. Yeah, I mean, Penn State's pretty decent, and then you got kind of Illinois. You know, the good news for Ohio State, I mean, they did play Notre Dame, who know Notre Dame, they've been bipolar. Like, when they've been good, they've been really good. When they've been bad, I mean, they're losing to Marshall and Stanford. Um but yeah, I do think it hurts them a little bit. We'll find out something about Michigan in two weeks. They're going to play Illinois, so that'll be a nice test for them. But yeah, there is that concern. I mean, Ohio State had some elements. They're, they were losing Northwestern. Michigan was losing to Rutgers before they ultimately poured it on. Um, but it's it's really tough. It makes for a hard evaluation when you look at teams like, yeah, they're beating these teams the, the way that they probably should with the final score. But you have to ask yourself, like, Okay, if they play another really good team, would they be able to score at that frequency? Could they get stops? It's a little bit like what we had to deal with Clemson, you know, in the ACC. And you know what? There are years Clemson won the national championship. There are years Clemson, you know, obviously struggled with that. It comes down to like how good those teams are. You know, I, I believe Ohio State and Michigan are both really good teams, especially in a year where it seems kind of wide open. Georgia's up there at the top, um, and they've obviously done a great job, but they've even had some games where they haven't played great. Uh, you know, against lesser opponents, but heck man, I, I wish I had a better answer for you, but it's just been such a weird year in the big 10 where a lot of the teams you expected to be good have woefully underperformed. Only four games between uh, up until Ohio state, Michigan, Illinois uh, at Michigan on November 19th. The only one that looks to have any potential to be a roadblock or a bump in the, in the road there. You foresee any problems between now and and the big game? I don't think so. I mean, you look at Maryland's, they've got an explosive offense. You know, they could score some points if everybody's healthy. Mike Loxley's done a good job there. And Ohio State, you know, like I said, yeah, if they're if they're healthy, like they can score points. And so you always can be in a game. And so the final week of the season before the the or second to last week of the season before the big game, you know, I could see that they're might be a little bit there, but over the next two weeks, I don't think either one of these teams will lose those four games. And, you know, you'll be pitted up for a pretty nice rivalry kicking off at noon in Columbus on November 26th. Any concerns at all about Ohio State's offense, which has at times been a little bit up and down this season, or do you just chalk that game up Saturday 
to terrible wind, rain, bad, bad weather day. game, sleepy game, and just flush it and move on with the win. I think you chalk it up a lot to that, but you still have to analyze. You know, there are things that you could have done better. And there were some issues on the interior of the line. I think they've got some issues with their guards, and there's some injury stuff where guys are playing through some things. I, I, I game, if it would have been 60 degrees, or heck, if it just wouldn't have been a 60-mile-hour wind gust, I mean, talking to some of the guys at the facility, like they didn't even want to want to pitch the ball because they were worried it's a tight game, it's field position battle. You pitch that thing, like it might get blown just away from the running back, and they might just have to dive on it or potentially lose the ball. So, you know, there were some issues with that, but you feel like, hey, you should have been able to line up and just maybe bludgeon them a little inside, especially on some of the third and third and shorts. That didn't happen. So that's where I think you do have to take a look and say, hey, I know we couldn't do probably 70% of what we wanted. But even, and Ryan Day said, he goes, I don't care if they've got 50 guys in the box. If it's third and one, you dent the defense. And if there's an unblocked hat or two, the running back needs to make sure he is running through that for a yard. We're not asking him to get six, but they need to be able to get one or two. Is Pat Fitzgerald truly in lifetime contract status at Northwestern? <laughs> is there nothing he can do short of something off the field that would get him fired? Uh, I know that he's had some real, really high highs for Northwestern, and I think he's a really good coach, but... It's been rough two of the last three years, Bobby. It has been. Um, but you look at it like this, I would equate Northwestern a little bit to Vanderbilt. And I was talking to Jacob Hester about that. I mean, Jacob or and Jacob, we researched it. North uh, Vanderbilt has never won an SEC championship. And you look at Northwestern, yeah, they won some back in the day. They had some in the 30s, they won some in the mid-90s, and then won one in 2000. But Pat Fitzgerald's had them play in two Big Ten championship games over the last four years. And so, yeah, unless you get the Auburn boosters on him to plant some stuff there and maybe, you know, throw like a dead hooker in his trunk or do something <laughs> like that. I mean, he would have to be bad for probably three or four years where you're winning like two or three games. So I think they believe like, hey, there's going to be those valleys, but can you get us back to eight wins, seven wins, and then maybe every once in a while have a nine win season where we potentially can go win the West. You still riding the TCU bandwagon or is this the week they're going to lose with Texas? There's seven. There's seven point dogs, man, and, and Texas is playing pretty good. You know what? I would say if they get down early, you'd be worried, but they seem to always just spot everybody right. 14 points and come back. Colt was pretty calm. We had tied Colt on the show. I mean, he was pretty confident in this Texas team and what they're able to do. I think Sark's got them playing well. I would ride, I'm still going to roll with TCU, but man, like, don't ask me to put money or anything <laughs> of consequence on that game. It's going to be fun. Uh, Bobby, thank you as always, man. Good we're, to see you, bud. We're on the backstretch now, and it's it's just heating up. We appreciate the insight. Dirty Work's a very underrated film also, Bobby. I like I like the reference <laughs> with what has to happen to Pat, Pat Fitzgerald. <laughs> Have a Fantastic. good one, man. Thanks. There's thank uh, Bobby Carpenter. Sirius XM Channel 84 is where you can find him, uh, as well as on Twitter at BCARP3. Coming up, primary complaint on OutKick360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. From 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine coming up. We take a look at the NFL. We'll get you updated on some of the injury reports. Quarterbacks in the news for sure. Three starters. We'll let you know about that. Guys, every week at this time on Outkick 360, it's time for Primary Complaint. It's time to air our top grievance of the week. You can complain all you want. My job is so unfulfilling. Don't run away from your feelings. It's time for a primary complaint on Outkick 360. Guys, my primary complaint. Since when did all of these politicians get my phone number on election day or the day prior to the election? I don't even get calls from Orwan in India any longer. But all of a sudden, every local politician is able to call and leave me a voicemail. That's my primary complaint. What happened to Orwan? I don't know. I, I must have blocked him. So my primary complaint today uh, has to deal with someone I was thinking about over lunch today. It just popped in my mind. And it really got me reminiscing about a time that was a glorious time. A time when Omar Epps reigned over Hollywood. Omar Epps is electric. Omar Epps back in the day, had a run that included the program, Major League Two. At one point, magazine article said, this guy's going to be the next Wesley Snipes after Wesley Snipes crushed it in Passenger 57. Not only was he the next Wesley Snipes, he was literally the next Wesley Snipes in Major League Two as Willie Mays Hayes. Higher learning, scream two, don't be a menace to South Central while drinking your juice in the hood. <laughs> ER, the hits kept coming. ER. The wood. Love and basketball. And that ended it in 2000. 2000, he started doing films like Brother, Dracula 2000, something called Perfume, Big Trouble, Conviction, Def Jam, Fight for New York. He was the voice of a video game that was Def Jam, Fight for New York. I saw Omar Epps in This Is Us in three episodes. Once again, the man at 49 years old remains electric. Omar Epps deserves better. Marvel, you've got movies coming out. Make the guy a superhero. Do something. I need this guy in my life again. Omar Epps was robbed from us by Hollywood for far too long. He's still a young man. Bring back the electricity that is Omar Epps. That is my primary complaint. I loved his work in House. You didn't mention House. I, I, he was fantastic. House was House. the one respite during the, uh, the last 20 years where he had something going for him. House was a terrific show. My primary complaint... Um, goes to a service industry as it so often does. Nobody wipes down a table anymore at that level of restaurant. I go, I order, or I, I get seated, and the table's never wiped down. It's never ready for me. I have to request somebody wipe it down. These are, there's certain things you, don't, you shouldn't have to request. After somebody's finished with the table, Part of the process of seating me at that table or telling me I could sit wherever I like needs to be that you wipe down the table. 
I don't want somebody else's slop. You you have to clean it. It's it's mandated. It's it's like it's cut out of the work circuit anymore. It doesn't exist. And I think a lot of people just deal with it or wipe it down themselves. I'm not wiping it down myself. Hey, I don't have the cleaning products. It's not available to me. A napkin's insufficient. Somebody needs to come with a spray bottle of cleaner and wipe that puppy down. I don't understand why this has just stopped happening, but it needs to start happening again. Paul, let me take it a step further with that. Also, when wiping it down with that cleaner, I don't want too abrasive of a cleaner because there are times where I go into a restaurant and they break something out that is like, uh, government strength type cleaner that all I smell the rest of my meal is the cleaner. Right, you can't smell that's your food. on the table. Like it, it feels like that the whole place has been completely. It's it's all antiseptic at that point. This used to and just that's all happen. You can smell as the cleaner. It used to just happen. It, it wasn't an overly smelly cleaner. And when you sat down, the table was cleaned already, and it was dry already, and it was ready, ready to for me to sit down and eat at. I still don't trust the cleaner or the rag they use and overuse and use again for every single table in that restaurant. Right, but you prefer it be done than it not be done. I don't think it really matters either way. I, I, but do you want to sit down and have there be I, a, like a, a wet jalapeno pepper on your table? Yeah, I, mean, I want it, I want it no. wiped off. Like, I don't know about the cleaning part as much, what hunting somebody. I want the clutter off. Right. Like napkins and food crumbs and food bits. Food crumbs. I hate when that's on the crazy. table that I'm at. But get, I don't want to see out. that the person before me had nachos. I don't want to uh, identify their meal. Davey, get Omar Epps on the show, please. Yeah. I, I bet Omar Epps can be had. <laughs> I feel like we could get with his agency and maybe Bump get him, him on the show. Bump him ahead of that soccer coach that we wanted who was uh, abusing her play. We'll get both. We'll go back to back. Um, I'm on his IMDb. I'm trying to see what <laughs> project. Hell of an hour. Uh, he's in <laughs> maybe he just retired. Right Some now, of these no, guys no, retired. No, no, he, no. He's been in shows. Right now he's in post-production of The Deliverance, which looks like it's a horror movie. Headlines next, and it includes injury updates and a look at the rookie performers that are shining across the NFL.